So let's hear God's holy and and inspired word from Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And then verse 38 to the end of the chapter. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is God's holy word, and may He bless it to us this afternoon. And now turn to me please in the uh, Heidelberg Catechism uh, to Lord's Day 40, which you can find... uh, in the back of the Forms and Prayers book on page 247. Page 247. Or in the back of the Song book on page 891. This is what we believe and confess as a church based on God's Word, uh, regarding God's will for us in the Sixth Commandment. And uh, there's three questions here. I'll read the questions. Let's respond together with the answers. What is God's will for you in the Sixth Commandment? I am not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor, not by my thoughts, my words, my look, or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge." I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. Does this commandment refer only to murder? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that He hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vengefulness, in God's sight, All such are disguised forms of murder. Is it enough then that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? No, by condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward them, to protect them from harm, as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Amen. 
Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, what if I told you that I know someone in this room who has broken the sixth commandment, you shall not murder? Well, for you who know your Bibles well, you, you, you should know that actually all of us, right, have broken this commandment, you shall not murder. A lot of people don't understand God's law today, and they think this is the one commandment they keep. But as we read that, no, we see, no, this is something we all struggle with, and um, that it applies, it's, it's much more far-reaching than, than just avoiding the act of physical murder. There's so much more to, to it. All have sinned, or we could say all have murdered, and fall short of the glory of God in one way or another. But what do we mean by that? In what way do we break the sixth commandment? How do we keep the sixth commandment on the flip side? Well, that's what we're going to consider this afternoon, and we'll see God's will for us in the sixth commandment. We'll see that God's will for us is that we preserve life, that we put to death sin, and that we practice love, that we preserve life, we put to death sin, and we practice love. First, uh, we see that uh, God's will is that we preserve life. Our catechism asks, what's His will for you in the Sixth Commandment? I am not to kill my neighbor, and I am not to be party to this in others. And uh, this is, of course, based on what the Sixth Commandment says, you shall not murder. There are uh, several words in Hebrew that, that mean to kill, and there is a more specific word that means murder. Notice in the ESV, it says, it doesn't say you shall not kill, it says you shall not murder. And uh, that's because in the Hebrew there, it's the more specific word uh, that is used in Exodus 20, verse 13. It's the word ratzak, which occurs mostly in the few passages that talk about cities of refuge in the Old Testament for those who unintentionally murder, what we might call involuntary manslaughter today. Uh, outside of these passages, it occurs maybe a dozen other times, and it never occurs for animals. While katal, uh, one of the more general words for to kill, occurs literally hundreds of times. So in short, the sixth commandment does not prohibit killing of every kind. Uh, we might say that it prohibits unlawful killing. In other words, there's such a thing as lawful killing. It's not something that is fueled by personal revenge, but it's something that God commands in order to restrain evil due to the effects of the fall. To protect and to preserve life. That's really the goal of the sixth commandment, to protect and preserve life. And so sometimes, uh, you, in order to uh, follow the sixth commandment, you have to practice self-defense, for instance. Self-defense is not... Murder. Exodus 22 verse 2 says, If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. So God allowed for self-defense in the Old Covenant when it was done in order to protect and preserve a person's life. And it wasn't considered a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Uh, rather, self-defense springs from a, profoundly, a profound respect for the Sixth Commandment to protect and preserve life. And so it's not murder to defend yourself and your family from someone trying to kill you. Now, of course, we want to, as much as possible, you know, disarm the person and disable the person, maybe just run away, <laughs> right? 
Uh, but if you can, disarm the person, disable the person, and, and not, not try to kill them. Um, but, you know, you know, we don't all know martial arts. We don't all know jiu-jitsu, and, and we do our best. And, and if in the course of events that, that happens that the person dies, then you're not guilty of murder. Uh, you are trying your best to preserve your life, to preserve life all around and protect life and to get away. And, um, and so self-defense is not viewed as, as murder in the Old Testament uh, capital punishment is not considered murder in the Bible uh, when, when lawfully done. Our catechism mentions uh, prevention of murder is also why go- government is armed with the sword. Again, this is to, to preserve as much life as possible. Uh, the goal of capital punishment is to prevent murder and to preserve life. In other words, when the government takes a murderer's life. The goal there is to prevent him or her from murdering again and again and again and again. And it warns and restrains others in society who may be contemplating murder. And so again, the goal is to preserve life as much as possible. And this is a biblical concept. Uh, Genesis 9 verse 6 says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Um, Exodus 21.14 says, if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. And uh, this justice of one man's life for another when someone commits murder is not to be carried out by individuals. We, we learn in Romans chapter 13 that it's the government who has been entrusted with the sword. None of us as individuals has been entrusted with the sword to carry out capital punishment. We are to leave it to God and the authorities that He has entrusted this to. So Romans 13 says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive His approval. For He is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for He does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so we leave it to the wrath of God. We don't take out our own wrath on people. And uh, we leave it to the God-ordained authorities. Um, Another form of uh, where where killing may happen, but it's not necessarily murder, is just war. Just war is not murder. It's like national self-defense. Uh, One of the duties of a government is to protect the life of its citizens against a hostile enemy that threatens to to murder its people. And and so the same principle that applies to self-defense and capital punishment applies here. This is to protect and preserve as much life as possible. Now, of course, war is a terrible thing. And no nation has the right to go to war in order to take land or to take resources or out of a sense of superiority over the other nations of the world. Uh, but Christians have long believed that there is such a thing as a just war. Now, I'm not going to go into just war theory this afternoon, but you can, you can look that up and research that more yourself. But the Bible doesn't teach pacifism. Again, Romans 13 says the government doesn't bear the sword in vain. In Luke 13, verse 14, when the soldiers ask Jesus, what shall we do? Rather than condemning them for being soldiers who bear the sword, he simply tells them to be honest soldiers. 
Be an honest soldier and don't extort money out of people. Notice he doesn't tell them, quit your day job. Stop being a soldier. Luke 7, verses 1 to 10, Jesus says of a soldier there that there is no one in Israel who has as much faith as him. So Christ never condemns the military. Soldiers are needed to protect and preserve the life of a nation. And we recently celebrated Remembrance Day and we remembered with thankfulness to God our soldiers who have fallen in the line of duty to protect us from murderous nations and to preserve our freedoms in society. And so these are a few examples of what we might call lawful killing in the Bible. Uh, now, we long, of course, for a better day, don't we? We long for a day when, when death is no more. And none of these things are even happening. But in the meantime, we live in this fallen world filled with all kinds of murder. And so the Sixth Commandment doesn't uh, forbid these things. It forbids unlawful killing uh, or the unjust taking of legally innocent life. The goal, again, is to preserve life as much as possible. Uh, Joachim Dauma, in his um, book on ethics, says that the Sixth Commandment applies to murder in cold blood, manslaughter with passionate rage, and negligent homicide, resulting from recklessness or carelessness. And our catechism highlights these things, doesn't it? Um, but notice that when we speak of murder, there is, there's so much nuance to it. There's so much, it's not as simple as just, you know, killing. There's, there's so much that we need to think through. It's, and, it, and murder isn't just, doesn't just apply to intentional, premeditated murder. Uh, when we look at the case laws of the Old Testament and how it applies the Sixth Commandment, uh, we see that it also applies uh, to intentional, unpremeditated murder. In other words, spontaneous murder due to rage. Uh, it also applies to reckless homicide, what we might call involuntary manslaughter, killing someone, for instance, while driving drunk, or seeing how fast your car can go. Uh, there's times when I, I don't know if you've seen some people like pop a wheelie on the highway, and that's just uh, so scary to me when that happens, just high speeds, popping a wheelie, endangering themselves, endangering others, and those sorts of things. Reckless homicide it applies to. Or negligent homicide. Uh, Deuteronomy 22 says, When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Now, what's a parapet? Well, it was like a, a you know flat rooftop. You know, and those... Uh, Homes back in the day, they had flat roofs, and it was like their patio up top. And uh, this parapet law is saying, you know, if you have a patio up top on your roof, make sure you got a rail. It's not you don't want people falling off, uh, at, you know, accidentally. You need to have a rail there. So too, we need to, you know, consider these things. That's why we have safety inspectors today to prevent, you know, negligent, you know, homicide. Um, we need to make sure that our, our homes are safe, that, uh, you know, maybe it even means that we go outside and get rid of the ice on our sidewalk this time of year so that uh, people don't slip and fall and injure themselves severely. Um, this could apply to 
you know, when you're driving and uh, your phone beeps and you go to check it and you get in a car accident and kill someone, negligent homicide. That was an accident, but it was due to carelessness. And this uh, commandment also applies to suicide, as we confess. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. This is a good, com- this is a good point for, um, well, the point about not recklessly endanger myself obviously applies to suicide, but also, you know, when we're younger, we can take a lot of more risks, right? And we've got to be careful when we're teenagers about taking some extreme risks when it's snowboarding or skiing or, I don't know, big wave surfing or something. <laughs> you know, when we're younger, we tend to just take a little bit too many risks at times, and we've got to be careful about that, that we don't recklessly endanger ourselves. So you shall not murder as far reaching it's not just about intentional premeditated murder it's about all these kinds of taking uh, of innocent life unlawfully now sadly we've come up with all kinds of new ways to take innocent human life today and the the government which is armed with the sword in order to protect human life sadly makes these forms of unlawful killing legal but we must follow god's word and And not what the government says in this regard. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about physician-assisted suicide, or we call active euthanasia. This is something that the Sixth Commandment forbids and that we should oppose as Christians. No one has the right to take a human life. God alone is the Lord of life, and He alone has the right to determine when it's time for someone to die. Instead, we should promote things like palliative care and to ease their suffering as much as possible now that said there's a a legitimate moral distinction between actively killing someone and letting that person die of natural causes in other words there's a difference between terminating life and terminating treatment which is itself a form of handing life and death back to God. And I'm sure there's all kinds of questions that may arise from that, but again, we don't have time to get into all the nitty-gritty details of these things. The point is that God is sovereign over life and death, and we don't have the right to take innocent life unlawfully. One final application of the sixth commandment today is abortion, of course. Uh, One of the most horrendous things in our day and age is that the murder of so so much innocent life inside the womb, a place where it should be the safest place in the world. We take the, the innocent life of the most vulnerable in society. You know, when we read the Old Testament, we might be shocked at all the unbelieving nations and how they were, would sacrifice children to the god Moloch. But really, we're no different today in our society. They sacrificed their children to the God of Moloch. We sacrifice our children to the idol of sex and convenience and the idol of freedom to do whatever you want. But according to the Bible, a human embryo is a person who bears the image of God. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. The psalmist 
refers to himself as a person, even at the time of conception, who had a, a, whom God had an intimate relationship with. Uh, David says in Psalm 51, in, in sin did my mother conceive me. He was a person who had original sin in his mother's womb. Or consider Exodus 21, where the eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth principle is applied to the pregnant woman who loses her child from an attacker. And so the Bible is clear on this, that we must protect innocent life in the womb from conception on. And it's, it's an inconsistency in our society today that there are fetal homicide laws, and yet the destruction of the same child in hospitals and Planned Parenthood clinics is allowed for any reason. And it's so sad that Canada does not have a law to protect innocent life in the womb. And so we need to protect and promote human life from conception on. We also should go a step further and care for the fathers and, and mothers of unplanned pregnancies and, and be, have a concern for orphans and widows. Even as we sang in Psalm uh, 146, that He is Father of the fatherless. God cares for the orphans, and so should we. And uh, we should pray for Option Center, Pregnancy Center, and these other services in society that do a great work to, to help uh, counsel those of, with unplanned pregnancies. But why is all this in, so important? Well, because every person is created in the image of God. It doesn't matter uh, if... Uh, they were, if they've been born yet or not, it doesn't matter if they are if they're elderly. It doesn't matter if they're disabled mentally. They are all image bearers, and so to destroy the life of any human person, whether they can contribute to human society or not, is to attack the image of God in them. It's an attack on God Himself, in essence. In the words of John Calvin, our neighbor bears the image of God. To use him, abuse or misuse him is to do violence to the person of God who images himself in every human soul. And so that's God's will for us in the sixth commandment to begin with, that we preserve life. That we preserve life. But secondly, we see that it goes deeper than that. It's it's also that we put to death sin. Our catechism asks, does this commandment refer only to murder? No, by forbidding murder, God teaches us that He hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vengefulness. In God's sight, all such are disguised forms of murder. He goes on and asks, is God's will for you in the Sixth Commandment? Or what is God's will for you in the Sixth Commandment? I am not to belittle, hate, insult or kill my neighbor not by my thoughts my words my looks or gestures and certainly not by actual deeds i'm to put away all desire for revenge you see the commandment goes much deeper than our external actions it goes to the root of all murder that resides in all of our hearts because of the sin nature that that dwells within us and we all struggle with envy and hatred and sinful anger in our hearts. And we have to put it to death because it is the root of murder. And God abhors it. God hates it. 
He condemns it. And when we uh, entertain those thoughts, we are committing secret murder according to God's Word. And how do we know that that's God's Word? Well, because our catechism is based on God's Word. And, and uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's some serious... That's serious what he says there, right? We must hate it ourselves, must put it to death and not entertain those things. And the New Testament writers, inspired by the Spirit of Christ, uh, uh, speak in the same exact ways. So 1 John 3 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And then it goes on and gives a real practical Example, it says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, we're not to just say we love our our brothers and sisters in Christ. There he's speaking especially about the body of Christ. We're not to say we love them, but then when we see them in need, clearly they need something. They're, they're impoverished. They're starving. They're, they're cold in the wintertime. They don't have any jackets or whatever. And we've got all this abundance, all this warmth in our home and, and plenty of jackets to go around and lots of food on our table, and we close our heart against them. Well, he says, how does the love of God abide in that person? Let's not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. When we act in that way, we are guilty of the sixth commandment. Galatians 5, Paul says, the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the sin nature are evident. Amity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, these are all things our catechism highlights, but I'm just showing you that it's all in God's word. And so, this is God's will for you. It means that I don't murder someone in my thoughts, my words. I'm careful. I guard my words, my speech, and what comes out of my mouth. Set a guard, O Lord, over my lips. Keep watch over my mouth. You pray. And that you are careful about your looks. Right? You're not giving people the death look. And gestures. You're not flipping people off on the highway. Right? We all have to guard against these things. This is condemned by God. And yet how easily we are sinfully angry at someone in our heart where it just consumes us, where we just wish they were out of our life and we, or we just fly off the handle on them and, and don't guard our speech or we fire off an email or a text message not carefully weighing our words or just harboring envy or thoughts of revenge in our hearts, holding grudges. Do you hold grudges? Put it to death. Put it to death. Repent of your grudges. Do you speak or think uncharitably and harshly towards others? Put it to death. Repent of that. Turn from it this day. Proverbs 12 says, rash words are like sword thrusts. Rash words are like sword thrusts. 
careful with your rash words. Romans 12 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so we ought not to seek revenge, whether in thought, word, or deed. Uh, Children, God's law teaches us here that we are not to say or think mean things about other children or to treat them meanly or to bully them. Uh, We are to be kind in our words and our our actions and our thoughts towards other children, even if they are mean to you on the playground uh, or in the home, if it's your brother or sister perhaps. Uh, You know, I'm sure you guys struggle with sibling rivalry just like I did. Uh, But we ought to guard ourselves and not lash out in anger. Now, it is possible to be angry and not sin. So don't hear me wrongly that I'm saying you can never be angry about anything. No, the, the Bible says be angry, but don't sin in your anger. And so we have to be careful uh, that we don't sin our anger, but there are some things we should be angry about, but we have to ask ourselves, is it, am I angry just because I'm serving my own idol of self, you know, that I'm just serving the idol of my own uh, schedule for the day, or, you know, I just wanted my own day to go how it's going to go, or whatever you protect as an idol. Uh, because when you're angry about something, you're protecting something. And are you defending some idol or are you defending God's law? And, uh, and that's the first question you've got to ask. But then also you've got to ask, okay, am I defending God's law? Okay, yes, I think I am. No, let me pray about it a little bit more. Okay, yes, I, I am. And, uh, but then you pray, Lord, give me the grace that I do it in a Christ-like way, right? Because you can sin in your anger by your tone and the way that you p- approach that uh, situation, and so we got to be careful about that. But there is such a thing as righteous anger. Jesus clearly teaches us that, right? In the way that he, he lived his life. He was, he was angry when the disciples were trying to prevent the little children from coming to him. He was indignant, it says. And he was angry when the, the, with the money changers in the temple, right? And overturned the tables. So, so there is such a thing as anger. But we have to guard ourselves from sinful anger and uproot that as murder in our heart. And so God's will is that we not murder but that we uproot murder in our heart, that we preserve life and put to death sin in our hearts and turn from it more and more. And then third, God's will is that we practice love, right? If that wasn't enough, you know, we're already feeling guilty. Here's a little bit more from God's law. It's not enough that you just avoid Right? God's law prohibits things, but it also positively requires love. What is the summary of God's law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not enough that we don't murder our neighbor in thought, word, and deed. Our catechism says, by condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves. What does that look like? It means to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward them. I don't know why that just stood out to me today as I was reading that again. And be friendly to your neighbor. To protect them from harm as much as we can. And to do good even to our enemies. Again, the, the... Ten Commandments, they forbid certain things, but they also require love. 
So Romans 13 says, The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you're, you're thinking about the other. You're thinking, how would I want to be loved? How would I want somebody else to, to speak to me if, if I did something to offend them? How would I want them to, to respond to that? Uh, you're thinking at all times of the other person. And uh, this is all based on Colossians 3. Put on, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so this is who we are in Christ already. Notice how he says there, put on these things as those who are already called God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Those are indicatives of your identity that who you are in christ already is a gift of free grace you are chosen you are holy you are beloved in christ as a gift of free grace therefore live in gratitude put on these things as christ love as christ first loved you who loved you and and died for you even when you were his enemy And this is why he he also exhorts us to love as he loved. And how did he love us? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to to start being friendly towards him and and turning from our sin and and, uh, treating him well. No, he died for us while we were yet sinners. And so he teaches us that we, his kingdom citizens, and he is our, our king, uh, teaches us. You've heard that it was said, this is Matthew 5, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The idea there is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to take the lex talionis principle. What's that? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's the lex talionis principle. We're to take that principle back on ourselves. Somebody slaps us. We take that back on ourselves. We don't slap them back. We, we take that back on ourselves. So that that Lex Talionis principle is fulfilled in, in us taking it back, following Christ, because He took God's just wrath in our place, the justice that, that we deserved. And so we magnify the love of Christ even for His enemies, which we all once were. And we imitate our Father in heaven as as Jesus teaches us there in Matthew 5 as well, right? Because, you know, He he sends His rain and sunshine on the just and the unjust alike, you know? Um, 
We, we are all, you know, we who profess Christ, uh, we still have to endure winter, right? Just with all the unbelievers. And, and, and when, it, when it's uh, sunny and spring and wonderful, beautiful weather, even unbelievers get to enjoy that, right? Because our Father in heaven, he sends his sunshine and his rain on the just and the unjust alike. And he shows how he, he loves even his enemies in that way. He is kind to all his creatures. So too, we're to imitate our Father in heaven and love even our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And above all, because Christ loved us and died for us. And so what's God's will for us in the sixth commandment? That we not murder, that we preserve life, that we put to death sin, and that we practice love. Uh, in his book, Good and Angry, if you want to try to learn more what it looks like to be good and angry, to practice righteous anger, I recommend the book Good and Angry by David Pallison. And he has a chapter entitled, Do You Have a Serious Problem with Anger? And the chapter is only one word long. Yes. <laughs> it's the quickest chapter I've ever read in my life. Okay. Um, and it, it's true. We all... We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and not kept this commandment perfectly in thought, word, and deed. But the good news is that Christ came and He fulfilled all of God's law for us, including the sixth commandment, and He suffered the curse of the law in our place on the cross. He is the eternal Son of God who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, and He came into this world to die, to die for you and me who trust in His name to take the eternal death that we deserve so that we might have eternal life. He is the one who above all came to protect and preserve and to promote life, even the life of His enemies. He was reviled and He did not revile in return. He suffered, but He did not threaten Rather, he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly in the end. And he was truly pro-life in every way. He came to bring justice for those who are oppressed. He had compassion on those who were sick and healed them. He cared for the least of society and saw even lepers as those who bore the image of God. He loved. He practiced love like no other and he laid down his life for us. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Even a murderer went free. Barabbas. And he suffered as if he was a murderer, though he had never murdered in his thought, word, deed, gesture, or look. And only loved. But he bore the the sufferings, the, the wrath of God, the curse of the law that we deserve so that we might go free, so that we might live and live abundantly in Christ and know eternal life. And then He gives us His Holy Spirit. We're forgiven of all of our sins because of Jesus Christ, because of His life, death, and resurrection. And then He sends a Spirit of love into our hearts. So let us walk by the Spirit. Let us put to death the, the things in our hearts that are 
sinful anger and, and murder of the heart and let us live a life of love and seek to preserve life and protect others and promote the good of others, even our enemies. And so let us love one another as Christ first loved us. And let us thank God and praise His name for the gift of His Son. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word to us this afternoon. Forgive us for the many times we've broken this law and we pray that You would not look upon us in our sin, but look upon Christ who bore our sin on the cross. And, and once again... Help us to rest this day in His completed work, knowing that nothing will ever separate us from Your love, that You have forgiven us once and for all. We have peace with You through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But help us by Your Spirit to become more Christ-like in this world, to be more and more like Him and magnify the Lord of life who has saved us. And uh, help us to look forward always to the day when He'll return and Wipe away all tears from our eyes and death will be no more. And we'll know abundant life in the new heavens and new earth. And we pray, Lord Jesus, quickly come. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.